You are listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, located in Denver, Colorado. And you can find out more about us at houseforall.org. Grace, peace, and mercy are ours from the triune God. Amen. In the middle of a week where Jesus is apparently determined to piss off all the religious leaders, this question is asked. Is it lawful to pay the tribute tax to Caesar or not? Should we continue to pay money to the Romans so they can continue to oppress us, yes or no? They undoubtedly thought it was a great trap. If he said yes, that could discredit him with the crowds in the temple who expected the Messiah to destroy the Romans so Israel could be its own country again. And if he said no, they could tell the Romans that Jesus was preaching sedition and have him arrested. Perfect. But Jesus wasn't the country bumpkin they should have known better than to think he was. Um, Transparent as pool water they were from their fulsome flattery to their apparent piety. And Jesus wasn't having it. Why are you even trying to trick me? Maybe he looked at him a little sadly. Maybe he just rolled his eyes. So pay to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Did Jesus look them right in the eye as he handed back the coin and said, and give to God the things that are God's? And stunned by Jesus' shrewdness and having no response, the followers of the religious leaders took the money and ran. Now, I love how Jesus sailed right between the six-headed sea monster and the giant whirlpool set for him, and I cheer at the retreating backs of the religious elite. But what were things belonging to the emperor, and what were things belonging to God? So Jesus tells the people over and over about these things in his stories and rebukes to the religious leaders. He says, empire is saying you're going to work in the vineyard, but not doing it. It's rebelling against the owner of the vineyard, killing his son and trying to steal the property for your own profit. And at the end of that one, Jesus told them outright that the kingdom of God would be taken from them and given to those who live out the things of God. Empire is a raging narcissist who uses power and wealth to kill and devastate those who hurt his fifis, then rounds up a bunch of folks, survivors of the conflagration, to make a memorable feast. And when one person, maybe in protest, representing Jesus, refuses to wear the festive garments, that person is tied up and tossed out. Empire. Then later, after this thing happens, uh, Jesus goes right on to calling them names to their faces, saying, you know, you hypocrites, you blind guides, you whitewash tombs, um, you value gold above God, outward appearance above a loving heart, legal details above justice and mercy and faithfulness, you value empire over the things of God. My own experience with empire began early, with people who used me for their own selfish needs, because of their own traumas, maybe. Among other things, this unaddressed early trauma burned into my psyche, a fundamental understanding. I am alone. 
and no one will ever help me. I have to do it myself, all of it. And as long as I can remember, I've wanted to live in the Colorado mountains to be a writer. I ended up at Iowa State University majoring in botany and working in agronomy research. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, how did that happen? Um, and while I was there, I also wanted to, uh, began to work on my own stuff, and I wanted to help people, uh, especially those who had, say, early trauma to work through. So I did make it to Colorado, check. And a master's program in counseling, check. But my depression and anxiety kept me from getting a practice going, spending time writing, submitting anything. Um, and I kept ending up in a series of jobs where they didn't think they had to pay me much because working for God. I don't know if you've encountered that. Um, or I was doing monotonous work in a cubicle until I got so, this literally happened. I got so bored, my performance dropped, and I had to leave. So I became a technical writer for a while. At least the word writer was in the you know, job title. Working contracts uh, here and there. And during this time, I also began practicing and leading contemplative exercises, meditation, Lectio Divina, poetry and journaling work. And my dream there grew to a retreat center in the mountains where I can write and help people with counseling and contemplation. All this time, my whole life, I longed for someone to help me with my dreams. I was utterly incapable of asking for help. I knew, part of my fundamental understanding of myself, deep shame, that I would be told I was weak, and that if I couldn't do it myself, I deserved to fail. Um, I ended up as a, as a caretaker at Messiah Mountain Retreat Center, and that was kind of a check. <laughs> um, and I thought that I had to do this all myself, right? And here I was, I was in progress, I was going somewhere, right? It was about this time that my soul friend, Amy Mack, got sick and after a few months died. And I had no idea how to cope with this devastation. I couldn't bring myself to return to the cubicle trap. I was jobless for a year and a half. And just as I was about ready to try something again, I was decided I was gonna hike the entire Colorado Trail just to kinda, you know, get me going. Um, I, I also learned that I cannot do that all in one time. <laughs> What are you gonna do? Um, it was then that I was given a warning that I had to move out of Messiah Mountain at a time where I had no job, little money. I was about to be homeless. So this doing it by myself thing was not working very well, was it? I was failing over and over. But while Amy was in the hospital, a group of badass old ladies who went to half-ass gathered together to form a group and began meeting regularly to eat, drink, whatever, and laugh. I, I was very honored to be included in this group of rowdy and irreverent and loving women. And they supported me in my grief. And when I was faced with homelessness, these women generously took me into their spare rooms made sure I had a roof over my head, took me to the ER when I passed out at the Christmas party. You can ask me about that later, if you're curious. Uh, they, or rather we, 
are an example of what house was and is and will be, a shalom community, a place where no walls or hierarchies separate, where the water of license is available to all and not held hostage to money or legalism, where we walk together as the community of Christ, catching each other when we stumble and helping each other up when we fall. A place where we don't have to do it by ourselves. And we're always doing this. Has a baby been born? Welcome to the family. Let's feed the exhausted new parents, our siblings. Is someone sick? Maybe needs a ride to the doctor. Come with me, one of us says, I'll take you. Has someone died? Has someone suffered trauma, been marginalized and maltreated? We gather and hold space for pain and grief. We've all been exhausted, hungry, sick, struck by grief, dealing with trauma, caught in addictions, shunned, helpless, lonely. Here we are not afraid to speak our struggles. The reality of our humanness, along with the beauty of compassion and an honest depth of presence that invites the presence of others, the presence of God and God's immeasurable love. We long for this. The world longs for this. And we know how to do this. Let us not be trapped in the webs of empire or think that we're alone and have to do everything. Let us always be giving the things of God, love and forgiveness and justice and mercy and faithfulness and compassion. Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. If you would like to support the ongoing ministry of our church, please visit our website at houseforall.org/giving.